Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 13th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So what's the latest? I feel like we're in, you know, you said last week we kind of started our decision weeks, which runs, you know, it's kind of the sort of decision season last several weeks. So what's on tap here? Yeah, so... I mean, last week, um, certainly TAPU was one of the schools that um, released decisions and so forth. So a lot more activity on um, on on Livewire. But this upcoming week, we're going to see several more schools. And then it'll be the following week and two um, that we'll see a lot, a lot of activity. So this week, um, Keenan Flagler, Darden, Anne-Marie Goizada, Tuck, um, Dartmouth Tuck, uh, Michigan Ross and INSEAD are all scheduled to release um, um, decisions. We also are moving into the um, the next se- the next round of applications. So that's kicking off with the likes of Foster, ISE, Stern, and so forth. So yeah, lots of um, activity going on with those that are applying late in the season, as well as those that are receiving decisions from round two. It's exciting. Yeah, it's uh, definitely the best best part of this, uh, you know, process is when you find out if you've gotten in somewhere. So yeah, our fingers are crossed for everyone that's waiting <laughs> news on round two. And, and also for those of you who are kind of scrambling to get round three applications together. Uh, the other thing, you know, Alex, I mean, just in terms of like news and happenings, uh, well, two two things. So one is someone had reached out to us and said that they wondered why we hadn't recorded any new podcasts. Um, they listened on Spotify and they'd noticed that our feed had kind of dried up. And I was puzzled by this because we have been <laughs> recording and, and publishing podcasts. So I, I talked to the people at Spotify and it turned out there was some kind of a an error where they had our podcast listed twice in their system. One of them was updating, one was not. So that's all fixed. Um, so if you are a Spotify listener who had fled the platform in search of our podcast over on Apple or wherever, you can go back to Spotify if you want and find that the show is being updated. And I will say, um, when I wrote to Spotify about this issue, I was like, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to hear from them. This is one of those like nightmare situations where you just, it's, you know, you're kind of lost in a tech black hole. Um, and they wrote me back, like a real person wrote me back and got this sorted in a matter of like minutes. I mean, it's just, so hats off to Spotify. They're doing something right. I think that's brilliant, Graham, the way they handled that. Yeah. How many subscribers do we have on that channel? I don't remember. It's over, it's thousands, right? I think they said, because that, yeah, the person helped me was like, oh yeah, the one that's updating, you know, you're, you have two, there's two copies of your podcast in our, in our library. And like one of them has like no subscribers and it's updating every week with your new episodes. And the other one has all your subscribers and has stopped updating. (laughs) I was like, well, that's not good. So yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of people listening on Spotify. So hopefully uh, you're all back and and happy now that we're there again. So (laughs) I'll leave that there. Um, But yeah, interesting customer service experience. The other thing, uh, totally unrelated, more related to what we should be talking about, which is business school. It's Panama. On Spotify yet, Greg? No. <laughs> no, no. I that's uh yeah, I need to figure that out. I know I say that once a year when you ask me this question. <laughs> um, but the music that I make with my band as a side project is not available on these platforms. I need to figure that out. If anyone works at one of those. It's only available in grungy bars in Paris, is that correct? Yeah, and sometimes outside of Paris, but yeah, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> um all right. So the big thing though, Alex, that happened in our industry is last week we got a letter. Um, we're like on this sort of insider list of, I guess, p- people that G2 
GMAC notifies with big news ahead of time. And basically, they told us that there is a new GMAT exam coming, that they basically completely redesigned the test. Um, I think it's coming out later this year, I want to say. Um, and so they're going to be phasing out the existing GMAT in favor of this new exam. And we don't have a lot of details yet, but I can tell you that it's going to consist only of three 45-minute sections. And, you know, I'm not an expert, but I think that totals two hours and 15 minutes of testing, which is almost an hour less than the current exam. Uh, they haven't talked pricing or, you know, a lot of other details, but we know it's going to be a bit shorter. And they also, um, you know, touted the fact that it's been uh, designed with, you know, input from business schools and what business schools are looking to test for, right? So it's going to be a little different, I think, in terms of how it works. If I had to guess, I think there's still going to be some sort of critical reason stuff like that um, IR section that they've had that's a more recent thing um, and probably some math and verbal but I, I suspect it's going to be done in a slightly different way perhaps more in more of an integrated way I don't know we'll, we'll see but yeah so that more news to come and I want to try to get somebody from GMAC this was your idea Alex to get someone to come on the show and just talk about the new exam but this is kind of interesting interesting this is huge news <laughs> in my book I mean I yeah. won't comment on it I'm really excited to um, for you to get someone on the podcast to discuss it in more detail, yeah. Because I don't think GMAT, GMAC um, changes the GMAT test um, for trivial reasons. This is a huge, huge, huge deal in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you were working at a test prep company. That would be. A, it's got to be a little bit of a shakeup, right? All your got to redo all your materials. So yeah. yeah so I mean, <laughs> and maybe it's also symptomatic of more and more people taking the GRE, so GMAT needs to do something as, yeah. a, as a response to that. Because yeah, there's possible. no doubt the trend over the last several years has got to have seen test taker volume um, um, diminish a little bit for GMAT. Yeah, it has. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, we'll st stay tuned. I'm going to reach out to a couple of people I know at GMAC and see if we can get somebody on the show uh, to talk about that. Uh, the Thank only you, Eric. Yeah, that, you listening. <laughs> yeah, Eric Chambers <laughs> are one of our favorite GMAC people who used to work with us at Wharton. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll reach out and see what we can do there. The other thing, Alex, is on the website we continue to run uh, Real Humans Alumni. It's one of my favorite series that we do each year. We publish three um, pieces in this series over the last week. We had a guy named Hal who graduated Fuqua in uh, 2019. Um, so he graduated there and went to McKinsey. So he talked all about his experience there. Originally from Dayton, Ohio, he did his undergrad at Notre Dame, studied finance, and he worked for many years in something called retail FP&A. And I had to Google this because I'm just not, I guess I'm, I'm like terrible with acronyms. I don't know any of them. And it stands for financial planning and analysis, but in the kind of retail domain. So it's sort of the people who kind of make sure that the strategy set out by, you know, entities like The Gap or any big kind of retail outlet are, um, you know, kind of followed through. And so he did a lot of that kind of work and then went to business school at, at Duke and now works at McKinsey. Uh, and he just talked about how you know, some really interesting comments from him, but the, the, to summarize them, I would say, he talked about how a lot of the stuff that happens outside of the classroom has was really instrumental in his kind of learning experience and has helped him as a consultant. And he talked a lot about, you know, experiential learning, going on these trips, um, doing kind of independent projects, working with classmates. So just, you know, really useful stuff for his career at McKinsey. Um, so that was the first one that we did. 
Then we had a guy named Anuj, who is a UNC Keenan Flagler grad from the class of 2020. And this guy works at Bain. I don't know if you're sensing a theme here um, as to who these three uh, folks are this week. But so the first one, McKinsey, the second one, Bain. Um, so Anuj is from Mumbai, India, originally did his undergrad at U Mumbai and worked as a social entrepreneur in the food rescue space. So helping, um, I think, people who are disadvantaged have access, better access to food. Um, and now he's at Bain. And, you know, just I'll give you one little tidbit because we ask them lots of questions in these pieces and, and people can go read on the site. But one of the things he said that made him choose Bain was the something called the home office model. Um, and he said, this model is truly unique to Bain. Working with members from the home office, you're bound to build strong relationships and camaraderie that go beyond the workplace. It was an important factor in my choosing Bain. Um, and the reason, I, my understanding is with Bain that's a little different is that rather than build consulting projects from people who could be at any of the Bain offices around the world, they tend to kind of group them around these home offices. And so you work um, frequently with the same colleagues on projects. Uh, and that's not the same, I think, at some of the other big consulting firms. So uh, anyway, Nuge likes that. Um, had a great experience at Keenan Flagler. You can read all about it on the website. And then Alex, our last one is this guy named Damon, who went to McCombs, graduated in 2020. That's UT Austin McCombs, and works at BCG. So we did McKinsey, Bain, and BCG this week. Uh, he's from Houston originally, did his undergrad at University of Houston, uh, then went into the Marine Corps, and also did some work in financial services before starting his MBA. And he had a one little line of advice that I'll share. Um, and he said, I would ask hard questions during recruiting. Don't be afraid to ask the organizations you're interested in the tough questions or ask them about things that are most important to you. The decision of where to begin your post-MBA career is an important one, and it's one that you should feel confident about. Ask those questions that matter to you. So kind of nice advice when you're going through that recruiting process, which hopefully is um, on everyone's mind as they kind of head off to business school. So anyway, I love that series, Alex. And so I'm going to, we'll, we'll keep kind of featuring people here and there as we go on here. No, that's brilliant. And really great, interesting advice and perspective. I will say that last piece of advice, I wouldn't um, use that in the MBA admissions process <laughs> until you have that admit decision. Yeah, fair. But then you can start asking those harder questions. Yeah, yes. I think that's fair. Um, and I think, you know, they, they have to, even even if, if you're recruiting at, you know, BCG, as was the case with him, you know, you always want to be careful. Like, I think you can ask hard questions, but you've got to do so politely and not in a way yeah, yeah. of like, you know, hey, why should I come to you? You know, you can't be, you don't want to come off as a jerk, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. in any event, uh, in other news, you can still uh, reach out to Alex and I by writing to info at clearedmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. We did get a nice email from a woman who listens to the show who wants to do something nice for our audience, but I have heard back from her about the details. So I'm going to, we'll, we'll just leave that as a surprise for next week. But this is a, um, a loyal listener who has some stuff that she wants to share with a member of our audience. We'll, we'll give more. Did she, <laughs> did, did, did she, did she say, um, what test she took? Uh, the GMAT exam, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Well, that yeah. could be a problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Although they're going to allow people to take the current version of the GMAT for another year, I think almost. Right. Okay. So we'll see. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned for more on that. Um, Alex, I don't have anything else if you want to start talking about the candidates that you've picked for this week. Let, let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an apply wire entry that you selected, Alex, and it's from a candidate who's got uh, just four schools on the target list. The schools are Duke, Georgetown, Wharton, and Darden. Uh, this person, uh, I guess, has been an army officer 
um, prior to, um, you know, that's been their kind of post-collegiate career. And they are looking to pivot and get into consulting. And they're focused on uh, McKinsey, Bain, or BCG. Uh, so good theme with what we were just talking about with our real humans. Uh, their GRE score is a 319. They have a 3.7 GPA from undergrad. They've been uh, working for seven years in the military. They're located in Arlington. And they would love to stay in the D.C. area or potentially head down to Charlotte. Um, and I think those are the main things. I mean, you had some back and forth with this person uh, about their test score and about their kind of career but what's what's your take on this candidate yeah actually the fact that they want to stay in that region or potentially sort of down charlotte um, um resonates a bit more with their school selection too. because sure. i was a bit curious about their school selection they got mm-hmm. wharton on the one hand and then they're skipping a tier or two for the next um three programs mm-hmm. so um, um so, which are all very good programs but but that's one of the questions i have for this candidate i think they're undershooting a little bit mm-hmm. and they they probably would qualify um for you know i, I would target a couple more m7 programs is my point because mm-hmm. they're taking one shot at m7 um but if they took two or three shots um that that would sort of limit that would sort of spread their risk a little bit um anyway so the they're an army, um, you, you, as you said, they're an army um, officer, a former army ranger special operations. So I'm assuming this is a terrific role. They've got great experience, right? So that, yeah. to me, the, the work experience side of it is going to be outstanding. Right? Yeah, yeah, they were um, in Afghanistan, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they talk about that. So, so let's check that box and say that's outstanding. Um, the 3.7 GPA, which... Again, I think it's pretty pretty damn good. So so check that box. That's very good. Um, it looks like they've got a decent plan coming out of the program. What they learned through their, their um, career in in the army, um, they they um, they have some really good insight in terms of what they want to do, using the the sort of consulting route to then develop their own consulting firm to help a certain niche and so on and so forth. Right. So check that very, very good. This is what all makes me think this is an M7 candidate um, for sure. Um, so so where where is the, the weakest element of the, the, the profile is the test score, which is quite interesting given our sort of <laughs> earlier conversation, talk about the GMAT and the GRE and them competing with each other because they have a 319 on the GRE, which they claim and i'm not debating whether this is right or this is correct so they claim that's the average gre score for three of the schools that they're targeting i.e that tier of sort of top 16 top 20 um, um, programs Um, now a 319 gre according to the ets conversion chart which we're not supposed to look at i suppose (laughs) but we do um, is a 600-and-something um, GMAT, right, Graham? I mean, I, I don't know exactly where, but it's a low 600 GMAT, right? I think it was like 640 or 660, 640 somewhere in there. But right? so definitely, yeah, not... <laughs> Which is well below the average or median GMAT score for those three programs that have a median GMAT score of 319. So mm-hmm. so there's, there's some wacky stuff going on here. <laughs> but my point is... Have one more punt at the GRE, take some time, have another punt at the GRE, but also target a couple more M7 programs. Because I know geographically where they want to be in the schools they're targeting are very good in those regions, but so are basically any of the M7 programs on the East Coast. Yeah. 
Um, now, they may well get into Wharton, even with their current 319 GRE, but certainly if they came back with a 324 or 325, I think they, 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 uh, they're going to be sought after for, for, for the very top programs, or at least the type of profile that may be sought after for the very top programs. So I really would like to see them have one more go at it. But even if they don't, I agree with them, the programs they're targeting, they may well be um, very successful with what, what, they, what, what they have at the, at, at the moment. Fantastic, quite honestly. Yeah, so I think, you know, that was, as I was reading more and more about this candidate, I was feeling exactly as you were. This is a, you know, really impressive person and, you know, incredible leadership experience, international experience. They tick a lot of boxes. And so yeah. I was like, wow, even 3.7 from undergrad. I mean, they didn't go to Princeton or something, but they went to an okay university and 3.7 is a 3.7, you know, so it's a good, great, you know, really great GPA, right? So I was, it's that 3.19 on the GRE that struck me. And I was thinking it's not just, you know, wow, if, if they had come to us and said, oh, I have a 326 on the jury, where should I apply? You know, we would be saying Harvard, Wharton, you know, the, the, the top schools, East Coast, if they want to stay East Coast, whatever. But uh, so so I feel like, yeah, they might be leaving something on the table if they didn't push harder on the GRE. And I also should add, money may come into factor too, you know, because when you're at the sort of average or below average with your tests, you know, the school may not fight as hard to grab you. Whereas if you're kind of a stellar, you know, off the charts kind of candidate, or you have all your numbers tick all the boxes, you may find you get a little bit more merit um, scholarship aid. So I don't know, that that's just my thinking. So I, I agree with you, since they're not applying till the fall, why not spend, spend the money, get a tutor, whatever it takes, hit the GRE out of the park, and then they'll reap all the benefits of that money that they spend on test prep when they get scholarship dollars next year anyway. So that, that's my point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I was just trying to rescan somewhere. Maybe they're being deployed again, and that might be limiting their ability to retake the G GRE. But in any event, um, they're very likely with what they have now to accomplish their goals and get into a couple of these programs they're targeting. Sure. But with an elevated GRE score, it may well open up more scholarship money and or just more opportunity at the M7. Yeah, agreed. So I want to just, yeah, thank them for, you know, obviously sharing their profile and engaging, you know, they answered some of our, your questions on yeah. the site, but also thank them for their service. Obviously that's a, you know, it's not an easy thing. They were talking about the experience they had in Afghanistan. I mean, they've, they've you know, had, they'll have a lot to share in the classroom. Yeah. So no um, thanks to them. Uh, but Alex, let's move on though and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week also has just four programs on the target list, and they're not applying um, until, it sounds like they're going to wait another two years to apply. So they're looking at Cornell, Duke, UNC, and Yale. And this candidate is really, it's a really unorthodox candidate, and it's someone that I think, you know, merits discussion on the show because of that. Um, their pre-MBA career has really all been in um, kind of fire service, so working for, you know, fire department. Um, and, and they are looking post-MBA to pivot. They initially listed asset management um, as, a, as a goal, and they mentioned maybe helping to manage pensions for people working in like, you know, fire, rescue, police, that kind of stuff. Um, they also then also said they're open to other avenues, maybe consulting or, you know, operational roles. Um, so their GPA is a 3.5. And the reason this candidate's unorthodox is not only because they're working in the fire services or, or did, but it's because they've got 15 years of work experience. And they also are currently completing their undergraduate degree 
full-time after having done kind of a career in, in kind of fire service. So it's a sort of like, you know, they went from high school into fire service and then realized they want to pivot their career. So they've gone to get their undergrad and now they're going to try to apply and get into business school straight, straight on the back of that. Um, they're located in the Southeast and they're happy to stay on the East Coast post MBA. But Alex, this is, you know, I mean, just a really unusual case. And, and in fact, the um, poster actually pointed out that, you know, we, uh, that they, they like the show. I got to find the quote here, but they mentioned that um, they do like the show and that they were wondering if we might talk about them because of the fact that they're older. And they said, here it is, big fan of the podcast. I'm always interested to hear about older candidates. You guys don't feature them often in the law of averages, I suppose, but I'm hoping my story resonates with some non-traditional candidates in the future. So thanks for the service you provide and keep up the good work. So Alex, I, I'm guessing that that caught your eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, what, what do you think of this? It's a really interesting situation. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting situation. There are a couple of things, challenges, let's let, let's call them that this candidate will need to overcome um, to sort of present a comparable or a relative sort of application relative to those that have taken a more traditional route. And that's kind of, I mean, when, you, when you're looking at non-traditional candidates or unorthodox candidates, however you want to qualify them, you really need to, to look at sort of two broad areas. One is how can they and do they compare with the more traditional candidates in terms of their impact, their growth and, and leadership and so on and so forth? And then secondly, what is it about this unorthodox or, or, or different experience that actually could help them stand out? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other thing, it's not just that they're unorthodox um, and, and non-traditional, um, but they, they're, gonna, they're also older, right? Yeah. You know, we're not ageist here, but the reality is they've had 15 years of work experience and now they've gone back to their undergrad right. um, to complete the three or four years of undergrad which would place them in their early 40s when they start the MBA program, which presents the additional challenge of fit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that that can then manifest in issues like recruiting, um, you know, typical recruiting um, 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 businesses, you know, they, they, they would stand out, um, not necessarily <laughs> in a good way. Um, so they'd have to overcome those hurdles too. Right. So, so lots of potential um, pitfalls and, 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 and things that they've got to um, take into account. So that first thing is, how is their experience pre-undergrad comparable to someone that's had four or five years of experience post-undergrad in whatever situations that they've been in more traditional settings? So how can they show leadership? How can they show maybe they've helped restructure organizationally where they've been within the fire service? Maybe they've done some additional stuff within the fire service that really shows that they have that strong leadership aptitude um, and organizational aptitude and, and, and whatever it might be. Um, but but that's going to be really important to tease out um, yeah. in, in their um, candidacy, um, you know, their experience will certainly be very different and that might lead to some interesting conversations in the MBA classroom, but they're going to have to show um, that they, 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 they are comparable in terms of their overall um, experience. Because the, the default sort of consideration for ADCOM is 
experience prior to undergrad is not as strong as experience after undergrad. So they've got to overcome that potential stigma. Right. Um, so, so that's going to be really important. They really also need to nail the test score, whether it's the GRE at the lower threshold, I suppose, <laughs> or, or the new GMAT or the old GMAT, whatever it might be. They need to show not just that they, they're doing quite well academically. They've got a 3.5, I think, but they need to keep that up. Um, but we know that, that even that's not really above average. They really need to nail the test score. Um, and then finally, um, and we talked about this a little bit on the um, on, on, on apply wire, it might behoove them just to look at the next tier down um, when they do apply, because it probably will be the case that when they do apply, they really want to get an admit and not wait an additional year and come back as a reapplicant. So spreading their risk a little bit and try to identify a couple of safety schools. Um, my sense is a top 20 program in that tier is going to be more apt to take a risk on an older candidate with a non-traditional career that comes in with a strong test score right. and, and solid GPA than perhaps an M7 type program. Yeah, I, I think... Um the, yeah, you, you make a really good point about the GPA, which, you know, 3.5 is, is, you know, gosh, it's respectable, better than I had, you know, but <laughs> I, I think given that they're, given that they're full time and, you know, they're old, um, you know, or older, uh, that they, they should be able to devote resources to making sure that that GPA stays strong and maybe even gets stronger as they wrap up their undergrad. Yeah. But I, I couldn't agree more. Like if this person has an amazing GMAT score, I'm going to think a little differently about them and just say, wow, this is just someone who went down a completely different path, Yeah. but clearly brilliant. Look at the great GPA, great GMAT. And they, you know, have a really good story to tell. They know what they want to do. I think they do need to work on their post MBA goals. Like I, I really think that working in a kind of, you know, operational capacity or in one of these like rotational leadership programs or management programs or something might be smart. Uh, it might be easier than kind of a pivot into finance straight away, but that's just my initial take. I shared that on apply wire too. So yeah, but I mean, I, I, there's a lot to like here. It's just that there's some, as you say, a number of hurdles to overcome. There always is the one kind of 40 something in the MBA program at all these schools, like there, you know, at least one or two of them um, every year. And so this, that's who this person wants to be, yeah. right? I guess, I guess my point is there's always the one 40-year-old, as you point out, but you're adding another layer to this. This is someone whose principal career has been pre-undergrad. Right. Exactly. So, so that's doubled the, the sort of the focus or, or you know, the, the scrutiny, as, 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 as it were. Yeah. And you also raise another important point. Older candidates are expected to have a much stronger perspective in terms of their goal focus and going forward. Right. Because, yeah, in reality, at the age of 40, if you're going after an MBA, you better know why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, so I, you know, yeah. again, I, this person seems pretty devoted to doing this yeah. and that's, that's, you know, half the battle too. So I'm hoping that they can, yeah, just keep hunkering down on their academics take the test, do really well. And then, as you say, maybe cast a slightly wider net, um, but but go all in on it and yeah, just see where they land. I do want to thank them for the kind words about the show. And I'm glad we were able to kind of talk through their candidacy because hopefully it is instructive for others out there who are a bit older. And some of those hurdles are just people who have kind of more of an unorthodox path. So 
Um, we shall see. I, and I am also hoping that their fire service experience has been more than just, you know, kind of um, going out and putting out fires and has, like you were saying, like a, a kind of organizational or impact yeah. leadership kind of element to it as well. Um, so, And, and yeah. if they could show that, I mean, the, the, there might well be some really interesting um, options here. And, and, and so forth. But I just want to be frank with them too. I mean, yeah, um, as an adcom um, person myself, my initial gut reaction when I see someone coming in with this type of profile, and I, I, there are three or four red flags. So yeah. if they know that now, they can really tackle them with, with good thought and insight yeah. and, and, and so forth. So hopefully that works. And, and like you, you thank uh, our previous um, 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 Boaster, uh, Army Ranger, we, we thank the fire service too. Absolutely fantastic. Yes, yes. <laughs> so thanks for that post and, and for their service as well. Yeah. Um, let's move on and get to our third candidate. So this is Wiretaps candidate number three. Uh, so for the final <laughs> round here, Alex, this week, you picked another ApplyWire entry, um, and this is a candidate who's going to be applying this coming fall, um, so they want to start in the fall of 24, and they have a, a nine schools on their target list, and the schools are Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, NYU, Chicago Booth, Wharton, UT Austin McCombs, and Yale. Uh, this person's been working as a, I guess, a um, as an engineer, they have a kind of electrical engineering background. They're working for a large aerospace defense company. They didn't tell us which one, but they said, think Boeing or Northrop Grumman, et cetera. So that gives us a rough idea. They want to pivot out of that um, engineering kind of work and get into consulting after business school. Uh, they're particularly interested in Bain, BCG, McKinsey. They're also considering tech jobs, and so they put Microsoft on the list too. They have a stellar GMAT result of 770 and a very strong undergraduate GPA of 3.85. They've got three years of work experience to date, located in Texas, and are willing to go anywhere after business school in terms of geography. They indicated that they've already had um, a promotion in their role um, and that they'll have three years of experience by the time they matriculate. So this is a younger candidate, especially when you think about the fact that they mentioned three years at matriculation, right? So they're, it's probably only a year plus in, right, at this point. Um, they do some management at work. They've got a couple of different people that report into them. Uh, they went to, uh, they described it as a run-of-the-mill state college um, but they were quite active as a student there, and we know their 3.85 GPA is pretty strong. And they mentioned that, you know, again, they really want to do a career change. They haven't really nailed down exactly what that will be. They mentioned going to consulting, but they don't really know what it is that they want to do kind of in the longer term. So they said possibilities include corporate strategy, engineering leadership roles, or entrepreneurship. So I'll leave it there, Alex. What do you make of this candidate? Yeah, quite frankly, I don't care what university they went to. They did very well in electrical engineering and have a 770 GMAT yeah. score. So, Enough said. Um, so <laughs> this is a very, well, it's a wicked smart person, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, quite frankly, if it is a run-of-the-mill uh, university or whatever and thing. I mean, they've obviously gone far with that, so that's that's uh, revealing in of itself. Um, so, so their counting stats are superb. Um, you know, they're an aerospace engineer, so you know that's they're like a rocket scientist or something. <laughs> I I don't know what what that is. They have some management experience. They're early in their career. They're probably 
um, a, a potential superstar in the making mm-hmm. in that regard. What I'd like to know a little bit more about what does this person do to have fun or, or, or you know, away from the work and, and, and so on and so forth. I don't yeah. think we've got really a, a sense of that. So are they a complete um, geek and nerd or do they do some different things? And I love nerds, don't get me wrong, but, <laughs> but it would be good to know, so, you know some of this other stuff. Um, I think post-MBA, they've got to go consulting route um, in the short term so they can make a strong case for that. They want to get some business experience. That makes sense. But the big downfall here is there's no really good long-term plan. That's symptomatic of some of two a person in two um, things, buckets, right? And this person, I think, falls into both of these buckets. Um, earlier in their career, so they haven't developed that really sort of um, well-developed long-term plan. And I think they're a little bit bored or edgy about what they're doing. So they're just trying to get out of it, right? So, it, well, what I should say is maybe that's not the case, but as an adcom reader, I'm reviewing their candidacy and they're vague on their long-term goal. I'm thinking they're just going to, they're using the MBA to explore options, right? Now, in, in practicality, there's probably nothing wrong with that. But as an adcom reader, I'm thinking, well, you're not going to make the most of this experience because you haven't got that well-developed plan. So my feedback back to this candidate is think long and hard about what a long-term goal could look like, even if they haven't really developed it yet. What could it look like? Can they thread in some of their aerospace um, experience into that long-term goal? Short-term goal, absolutely go consulting. And, um, and yeah, I think this, this is a potentially a very, very strong candidate, Graham. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that the stuff that they need to work on is kind of easiest, right? I mean, it, I mean, it requires yeah. reflection and things, but it's not like they need to, like, you know, rebuild the transcript or, you know, kind of patch up a bad test score or, or whatever it is, right? I mean, they've got great numbers, solid background, and and a good head on their shoulders and that they're thinking ahead, wanting to already apply to business school. So it's just that they need a better plan in terms of like, what is it they want to do? And ideally, like you say, it'd be nice if there was something about their past experiences that, you know, they they can sort of figure out what is it that they like about what they're doing now and how does that translate to a future role post-MBA? And as you said, I would, yeah, I too was wondering like, what else do they do with their spare time? Hopefully there is a kind of um, variety of interests and activities and passion that that can come across as well, because given the schools on their list, we know, you know, that it's not enough to have great numbers and, you know, solid work experience and a, and a good career plan. You often have to have that extra something, yeah. you know, that, that drives you and that makes you kind of stand out and interesting. So, um, yeah, so they they didn't you know fill us in on that, but hopefully they'll give it some thought and and maybe let us know or um, at least know that that's important to incorporate into their story. They did have one question that we haven't tackled, so I'll throw that back to you, Graham. Okay. Um, is there a reason why they shouldn't apply in round one? Is it, or they basically asked, is it unadvisable to apply in round one? And I think they're asking this question relative to their lighter years of experience. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing they're probably thinking, well, if I apply in January instead of September, I've got three months more experience or something like that. Right. I'm, I'm kind of in favor of them applying in the first round. I, I mean, it'd be good to know a bit more about them. Like, are they, 
I mean, yeah, what's their ethnicity? Like, are they overrepresented? Is this like a male engineer um, from Texas? Are are they, you know, like what's, there are a lot of things that we don't know um, that could push them into one bucket or the other. I mean, if they, you know, I don't know, moved from India to attend undergraduate university in the U.S. and then have been working in the U.S. as an engineer, you might say, oh, round one, because they could be overrepresented, right? Yeah. Um, whereas if they're Hispanic, you might say, wow, they're kind of more sought after and underrepresented. Yeah, so, yeah, so I that's, still don't yeah. think there's a reason why you delay to round two, because at the end of the day, you're starting the program at the same time, right? right Whether right, you apply yeah. round one or round two, you're still going to have three years of work experience upon matriculation. Now, you might argue that in, by December, I have a little bit more to talk about and more fodder for my essays, but still... I think there's more of a risk delaying to round two than there is reward to delaying to round two. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, so I would advise that they just continue on that path to apply in round one, work out their career plans. Uh, hopefully, they've got some outside activities and interests to speak to, and yeah. they'll take it from there. Very so, good. Um, Alex, thanks for picking these out. Uh, it's been a, <laughs> a really good, as usual, set of candidates to discuss, and we'll do it next week. Next week, I'm gonna be in, I'll be in the U.S. when we record this, so i got a little bit of travel between now and then. But, um, yeah, looking forward to talking to you and doing this again next week. Very good. Safe travels, and stay safe, everyone. Take care.